Hello, BIC podcast number 54. It is a new year. Same us. Here we are on the Monday recording. It'll drop on the Tuesday. The Packers live, but for how long? And some semi-serious, possibly serious, who knows what kind of serious it is this show. Maybe it'd be 5% more mature, possible hobby predictions, and some randomized topics, the usual fare that you expect. Welcome to 2024 on the BIC podcast. Ah, yes. The gazing eyes of Favre are still upon us in 2024. He shall look to shine upon us. And once again, the content gods are to be praised. So back for another year of this. Uh, we actually, you know, coming off of this, technically, it's hours, really hours, after a very epic New Year's Eve live stream. So thanks to folks that hung in there for that one. Uh, <laughs> it, the, the after show actually went for quite a while. I won't say I won't say uh, there weren't quite some spirited discussions. There certainly were. And Eric might have killed over. He might have, he might have actually passed out and just woken up in the exact same state he was in. Uh, yeah, um, at 4.30 a.m., I, I gave up and left you guys to continue. <laughs> I, I couldn't the, take the, it. The, 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 the problems of the hobby were being solved, Eric. No cost yeah. was too great. No cost was too great. Yeah, we had we had, we had had um, some important people in the hobby, and you know, joining us and, and talking uh, after the show. And it went on and on and on and on. And I was I was totally in involved and and and. Uh, excited about the conversation but then i looked at my watch and i went it's 4 30 in the morning hey eric you know if this conversation continues going we'll be celebrating 2025 by the time this is over <laughs> yeah and i was like <laughs> i am way too old for this it is past my bedtime and uh i i i gotta call it a night so i left this well amongst us there was a more responsible individual with more sense brandon how are you i'm doing good i uh did not stay up till 4 30 i did make it a little past one uh, but I didn't stay up till 4.30, so, um, but enjoyed the the bit that I was on last night, um, waiting for Billy to get those boxes to me, um, so, yeah. Absolutely. So what I'll do is I'll start off with this just to get it going. So our friends at AMG Collectibles are still supporting the channel here. I believe I did actually receive a text message earlier today, which indicates to me that I believe we'll be recording the episode in this week and get back into the swing of things. The shop should be back up and running. We'll check out what happened with the sale because there was a Boxing Week sale. So we'll see what they're doing with that. And we'll start talking some plans and things for 2024 with those guys as well. Uh, and Sherry will also be joining us to talk about some of the things related to what's going on in the shop. And Part of that text message thread was also that I got a chance to see some cool stuff that came in the shop. There's actually some really nice stuff. I was able to check that out and we'll uh, definitely showcase some of those things. So amgcollectibles.ca and the AMG Collectibles YouTube channel. Thanks to them once again for supporting the channel and this podcast. So before I get into it, a couple of small topics that we'll touch on. One of the couple of things I wanted to mention. So a quick follow-up uh, from the live stream that was last night. Uh, you know, hours when by the time we were recording this, uh, one of the things was talking about Brian Gray's interview on Sports Card Live, a, a channel that, as you all know, I love more than life itself. But despite that, I did watch the interview itself, and uh, I think there were some interesting pieces that came out of it. I won't go too much into depth on that because I, I leave it to you to check out yourself. So I will link it in the description with great reluctance, and I will do so if you want to check it out. Brian Gray is a very entertaining person. You may not agree with all of his takes. But he's very passionate about those takes, and he gives you a lot to chew on. So just to be 100%, I get to be 5% more mature, and I'd be accurate about this, 
he's got a lot of takes. So he, so even if you don't agree with a couple, he's probably got 50 more. So what I would suggest to you <laughs> is if you are interested, check it out, listen to the angles that he took on a couple of the things. You can kind of go through it and you're going to get some discussion on unlicensed products, which obviously he was very passionate about working at Leaf and a lot of relations to that, uh, talking about his own stance with what he's planning to do, uh, his legacy, his approach, a lot of those aspects of what he's trying to do right now. Uh, in his retirement, I put in quotation marks, because more than likely we're going to see Brian Gray again. He already alluded to it a number of times. It felt a little bit almost like an audition. That's my perception based on the way he was saying it and kind of outlining his role, where he feels his role could be, and almost pointing out some places potentially he could land in his usual way. He likes to tease a lot of potential things that could come down the pipeline and also tease the possibility of creating more cards as his own entity, separate from the LEAF uh, criteria uh, category with the being CEO formally. Uh, so it is an interesting conversation. So I'll leave a link to it in the description for you if you want to check it out. In its entirety, it is like a two and a half hour live stream on it. So you may want to check it out in chunks or whatever works for you. So that's one thing. Okay. So let's touch on a couple of things here. So first of all, uh, I mentioned earlier, Packers live. Uh, for how long? Who knows? Uh, but they do control their own destiny, which is great. So I do appreciate that. Uh, not not quite in the J-Rob pumping category. I, don't, I still don't know how to feel about the Jordan Love thing. So I, I've actually made some offers and some overtures to a couple of Jordan Love cards. It's like, ah, I'm liking how the kid's playing. I don't want to get caught in. I don't want to, I don't want to pull bobbles and sit on it too long. I go, I should probably get one of these cards. <laughs> I should just start making, I'm going to at least make a couple of offers and see. I'm not going to try to pay too much, but I'll make a couple of, I like the way the kid's playing. What I'll say is this. I like that he's got almost 4,000 passing yards. And I like that he's third in the league in touchdown passes. He's not an MVP candidate and I'm not worried about that, but he's played well. With what they've got, what they've had, and the receiving core as it's been, I've liked what I've seen. I've liked the development over the course of the season. That is encouraging. Will that carry over to next season? Who knows? But is he earned the right to come out there again? Yeah. You'll, you'll see some plays and some throws where it's like, man, that's talent. That's pretty good. And then you'll see some like, oh, dear God, why did you make that pass? Why? Why? My eyes. So you're, you're getting to make, it's getting a little bit both, but he's a rookie. So, so you're like, you can accept that your mistakes are going to be made, but he'll also show some flashes where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe this will be the guy down the road. Doesn't have to be a hall of fame quarterback. He, if, I would take pretty good. If he's pretty good. And then you build a decent team around him. That's fine. I can work with that. But so that's kind of my thought on it. I, I, I enjoyed it during the live stream. I was able to watch the Packers win. So that was fun. And I didn't have to sweat it. It was actually, uh, it was actually a pretty, uh, pretty good score and a pretty good game overall by them. Uh, Minnesota's not at their hundred percent either, but, uh, but it was a good performance. I did enjoy it. Uh, so quickly transferred over to you, Brandon. Uh, right now, uh, things are looking good. I think Lamar has more or less uh, sewn up the MVP, I feel like. Well, I mean, let's be fair. I was sweating that game. Um, it was posted in the Discord. You know, remember last year of what happened when we were up 21 on Miami and it was like thrown back. And so I had to sweat a little bit when we were up by 22. Um, but as far as Lamar... Uh, I think he's shown this year that he can actually be a quarterback and he doesn't just have to be a running back. And I'm actually, I'm staying optimistic because we've had a very, very good season before I mentioned it in the discord. I'm curious to see how they play, like how next week plays out because I hope they play him at least half of the game. I don't want them sitting him next week and then having the bye week and then going in because I, if I remember right, it was 2019, uh, that same scenario happened and they came out, fell flat on their face and played like crap. So I don't want 
and I, I hate to even do this to you, Eric, but I don't want a good regular season team. I want a team that can actually advance and be uh, a contender in the playoffs. And they're playing really well. Mark Andrews may be back uh, for the playoffs. That would, you know, boost that offense up a bit more. The defense has played well. And uh, it's exciting to see where they can go. But I'm staying very, very, very optimistic. So, okay. all right, sounds fair. I appreciate, regardless, I appreciate there being something at stake in the last game of the season. I appreciate that there is an opportunity they can play in their end. So that's cool. And then for your team, it's kind of figure out what kind of preparation you're going to have going into the postseason. So if you already locked yourself up, then it's just like, all right, make sure you're in the right combination of rested, but also still sharp. So figuring out that mm -hmm. combo, that balance. And I think that's basically what you're referring to. It's just finding that balance to make sure that you don't get hurt. You don't want to get hurt in a game right. that doesn't necessarily change things for you, but you also don't want to be going, going in cold and having to actually play uh, on other set of teams. And it's kind of important to be prepared. It is one game playoffs after all. So that sounds good. Uh, so quick random thing I want to throw at you guys. Uh, I actually was listening. I mentioned uh, that podcast that uh, that was the kind of the spiritual successor to that one that I had mentioned previously from back in the day, the video game one. Um, uh, I did make a joke. I think it was with you, Brandon. I think you made a reference to a video game thing. And in your comment section, I said, oh, I'm looking forward to play through Pong. Pong so, play through, yeah. <laughs> that, that'll be exciting. I think that'll be a good time. But I did hear one thing, though. I was listening to podcasts kind of as background noise. Because as I said, the podcast for me, I'm not in video games. But I enjoy it for the bantering. Uh, for me, oh. it's good background noise for that. It's just a relaxing podcast. But they mentioned one thing that kind of reminded me of something and also kind of struck me. And like I said, this is more of a random tangent for a second. They mentioned Street Fighter Six. And I was like, wait, they're only at six. So I had to go to the Google machine and I was like, wait, wait. It's like, dude, Street Fighter 2 came out in like 1991. How are we only at six? What the hell's going on? Like, what kind of weird, insane Mortal Kombat is on like 10 or 11 or 12? Well, I think, and you can look it up if you want and confirm. I think the yeah. new Mortal Kombat that's going to be coming out is actually titled Mortal Kombat 1. I agree, but here's the thing. It, it, regardless, though, it is coming after like 10 or 11. So regardless, right. we're still talking, we're, you know, even if we don't continue the numbering system, it, it still threw me, uh, like to put it this way, and so I've got the I've got it up in front of me here. The first one was Street Fighter, which really has nothing to do with Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 is kind of its own deal, but technically it's under Capcom. So, you know, whatever. That was 1987. So that was on the Nintendo. That was a different game. Street Fighter 2 is the one that we're familiar with. That's that one that came out. That's 1991. Then Street Fighter Alpha, 1995. Street Fighter EX, I don't even remember that one, 1996. <laughs> uh, Street Fighter 3, 1997. So between 91 and 97, we got from two to three. So there was a gap there. I understand. Okay, fine. Street Fighter 4 didn't come out until 2008. It took 11 years to get to four. Then another eight years to get to five. And in 2023, they came out with Street Fighter 6. I'm like, it has taken you 30 to almost 33 years to get to six from two to six. What are we doing with our lives? What's going on over here? People I'm aging rapidly as we speak. People must have been really happy with the previous Street Fighter, and there wasn't a call by the fans to, to make another one. I guess so. I, I just feel like it's one of those things where like, I, I don't expect a, a fighting game. I don't, I don't want a fighting game, you know, another iteration every year or every two years or whatever. I just think it was it was hilarious to me that like after 30 years, guys, we made it to six. We were going from two. We were at two. <laughs> I remember going to the arcade because that's what you did uh, 100 years ago. 
um, and playing, you know, Street Fighter on the big arcade machine. And that was cool. That was, that was, I mean, there was a line for it, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, it was, I think it's got to be one of the first fighting games and, and the graphics compared to, you know, Pac-Man, um, it was, it was revolutionary. Wow. It was so, no Pong, but you know, fair enough. On games of sixes, and it's not quite as long as the one you're referencing, but a game that a lot of people are familiar with is uh, GTA, Grand Theft Auto. And GTA number six is preparing for a release. That one uh, one had a very convoluted history to get from five to six. Yeah, well, from five to six took it 10 years. Yeah. GTA three came out in 2001. I just looked it up to confirm, but five to six was a 10 year period. So I played, I played some of those games had stretches. I played three, I want to say, on the PlayStation two. I'm pretty sure three was the PlayStation two. If memory serves me, because uh, two thousand, you said two thousand one, right? Yeah, oh one. It yeah, should so have. Yeah, three, it would right? have been. It would have been the. It should have been the PlayStation Two, I believe. It might have even had a PS One version. It might have. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was. It was on. It was on PS Two, because I remember the cover. I remember the cover of this game. I actually had it. I owned. The, I owned a copy of this one. Uh, so I played it. Yeah. So I played it on PS2. Uh, and it was out on a bunch of it was out on a bunch of systems at that time. PlayStation 2, you could play it on Windows, you could play it on Xbox. Uh, you were able to play it on a couple different ones. So October 2001, that's when that one came out. I remember playing the hell out of that game. And uh, Grand Theft Auto, in fairness, let, let's be fair about this. Oh, so here's a question. I don't know if by that point, Brandon, you would have been playing games like that. Did you did you play that Grand Theft Auto around that time or no? I was never into the game much. Uh, my son's okay. played it though, so I am familiar with it. I played it here or there, but it wasn't okay. I'm not into the third person shooter type stuff. So, well, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's more of like an open world kind of thing, but yeah, fair enough. But um, look, I'll just put this in and we'll, we'll kind of move on. But I want to quick, since you brought up Grand Theft Auto and I love that game, I played a lot of hours of it. But when I'm saying play the game, just to be fair, what I'm actually saying is I punched in a lot of the codes so that I had a lot of ammo. I would literally run around just having crabs free after crabs free. Hashtag on brand. Eric, Eric, this is where we act not surprised. Like, I don't think I got through like 10% of that game. I think I spent most of the time committing crimes. Eric, you can get a tank. You could literally have a tank and just roll through the And all the badges and have, what, like the helicopters and all that stuff come after you. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fairness, we're we're talking games here. And I know Eric is probably still patiently waiting on like Grandpa Pac-Man because they had Miss Pac-Man and Pac-Man Jr. He's waiting, well, he's waiting on your Pac-Man. playthrough of Pong because that's his speed. He goes, wait, I love this one. I could never get past this stage. Thank you, Brandon, for showing me how. <laughs> I played a lot of Pong. I know you're joking, but I played a lot of Pong. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this to be true. I don't know. So there was, I don't remember the name of the game. I don't think I played a lot of Pong at all. Pong, you have it has to be a very specific look. Here's the thing. Uh, we, we joke about how old Eric is, and he's old. Um, but the thing is, we got we got to do like a math, it's a math problem because it, because the problem is Pong, like I played on the Atari, I played the Atari because my dad got an Atari. Yeah. That was like our first game system we played on. So even yeah. though I kind of had already aged out of it, we still had the Atari and we played the Atari because the games were simple. When I was a small kid, my dad would be like, Yeah, I'll get the Atari and then we'll play those games with the controller and stuff. We did have the Nintendo. But the Nintendo's out by the mid '80s, so like I said, Eric's old. But like by the mid '80s, you know, he had to be at least in his early '80s by then. So like you know, at that <laughs> point, you know, 
that's different. Uh, Pong, though, Pong's like heyday really was like the 70s that's into, the, into the 80s. It got developed in the late 70s. So yeah, so, early, 80s, um, early 80s, I was playing a bunch of it with the people's yeah. houses, my house, whatever. Yeah. And then by the time Atari comes out, yeah, you can still play Pong if you want to, but with Atari, you could play other games. You had other, you had some other options. It, the, the Pong's biggest moment, strongest time was when you had the individual Pong consoles, the things yeah. you would connect to the TV and it was just Pong. That's what it was. Uh, by the time you get to the Atari, you can, you can use the cartridges and play other things as well. Yep. Yeah. And by that's by the late seventies as Atari's coming out. And then by the early eighties, Atari's kind of hitting a Zenith apex. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to say the video game crash, you know, somebody can fact check me, but I want to say the video game crash was like 83 ish right around that time period. So that would have been around when the, they had a crash. And then by the mid late eighties, Nintendo brings it back. So there was a little bit of a crash there and then Nintendo was able to resurrect it by the mid to late eighties. Um, you know, super Mario and everything took over. There you go off to the races. And then we're on to today, but yeah, uh, Pong had its brief run. But it was very simplistic. You had, you had one game. Your playthrough is you connect the one thing in there and play your pong and, uh, until you get bored of it. That's a, that's what you got. You can have pong, pong, or pong. Yep. So those are your choices. Mm -hmm. Yep. Play it lots Makes of sense. it. Makes sense. And that's video game corner, sponsored by <laughs> no one. It's just it's just that I thought I would bring it up by my recalled recalling horror that we're only on Street Fighter Six. I can only hope well, that we'll get the Street Fighter Seven before I retire. Officially, since officially. we talk a, a little video game stuff, sure, I'll give a little teaser of an idea. I I may actually move this whole room downstairs, but if I don't, and thinking about that corner back there, moving that little plastic shelf mm -hmm. and extending a like a TV stand from the corner over to where the doorway is. And I have a retro TV out in the garage that does a work. CRT. A CRT, yep. Yep, and I have all of the original, like, the the beginning runs of the Nintendos and everything. I have a Genesis and all that. And I thought about hooking them all up back there, making some sort of, like, little display or something with the old TV and giving the room another little element of relaxation. So all I'm hearing is the new is the new channel coming up, uh, Bowser's and Pong. It's like no, it looks like no, Bobbles no. and Ballparks, but it's no, <laughs> no. Just where else are we gonna get a Pong walkthrough, man? I'll have to get Eric over to show me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might have to be how it goes. We'll use his expertise. We'll need his, we'll need his Pong walkthrough like this. So for so for the audio fo folks, uh, during that explanation, Brandon was literally pointing behind him to a dark void of dark magic. So if you can't see the YouTube channel, it's like this portal to another realm, uh, it's where he fights pawn realm. creatures. Yeah, where he fights pawn creatures. So that that's what he was doing. Again, if it's audio only, that's what was happening. And then Eric is demonstrating this by basically stabbing a small child. That's what he was doing when he was giving hand gestures. And then Brandon's like, "Ah, I understand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Eric. We appreciate you for the audio of people, so that you can visualize it. That's what happened." That's thought five, it would help. That's five percent more mature. Good, small child. Uh, listen, what you were doing over there is not my concern. I was tra merely translating Yo, for the audio that's audience. That's what was happening. <laughs> this will be a very entertaining 2024. I can see it right now. 
right, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Um, so let, let's let's actually let's actually get into kind of the the main topic thing. It is a new year, so we're not going to make it too long an episode, but we're going to have a little fun with this. Uh, we're we're going to do let's do a little twist. We, we talked about doing kind of a predictions thing, but let's let's twist. Let's do a little bit of a twist on this. There are different kinds of predictions we could have. I think we did touch on a similar thing, so let's have a little bit of a twist on it. For the prediction side of it, you can take the same kind of angles that you did before on it, but maybe fixate your attention on kind of put it in the context of what is it that you think we'll be looking at and like talking about by this time towards the end of next year. By the time we get into the next one, so for the next calendar year, you know, you can predict whatever. Uh, we talked, Eric talked a little bit about on the live stream, and also I think when we did discuss it briefly. He talked about the thought that there would be less people in the hobby. So let me let me challenge you a little bit. If that's the prediction you're going with, great. Okay, so let's say that happens. Let's say your prediction comes to pass. What do things look like? What, what are we talking about? What kind of conversations are we having in November, December of 2024, if that comes to pass? So not only the prediction, but tell us what things are looking like if, if your vision comes to pass. So take a moment to think about that. Uh, and I'll start first. I already said earlier, one of the things, like I said, I, we, we had a similar topic, but let me expand on it with this premise in mind. I mentioned the Cards HQ thing. Uh, I, we did have some feedback on that episode. We're talking about it like, you know, off the top, Jeff's, you know, Geoff said that he wouldn't be necessarily trying to do the live selling on day one. And I agree. And in the episode, we did mention that. He didn't say, he did mention that he was going to, it was going to be eased in, but I do think he's going to try it. And I want to see him try it because I think it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. And I said, my original prediction concept was, I think he'll try it. And then I don't think it'll work necessarily the way he's done it. I think he's going to have to give it a little bit of runway. But then towards the latter portion of the year, by that point, if my prediction's right, he would have tried it. It wouldn't have worked necessarily the way he wanted to. And he would have had to pivot. If he went down the path that I think he would, then that would require him to build a more robust e-commerce platform. If he has to do that kind of thing, then I do think even if he doesn't already have everything completely sewn up, in order to make that viable, I to extend my prediction, I think he's also going to have to fully be in 100% the Fanatics camp. He's got to have everything locked in, locked down, conversations, contracts, whatever he needs to do, have everything ready to go because he's going to have to lean on that e-commerce platform. And I do think he'll still be trying to do the breaking because he's invested too much theoretically in the design to have so many breaking booths, not to make that one of the main pillars of his. So he's going to need that allocation. Well, if Fanatics is the big player in the game. He's going to need to have Fanatics on, on side to get that product. And by that point, I think those will become the focus points. Long-term, beyond 2024, we can have a discussion down the road. But I think in the early days, he'll try those experiments. Some of them won't work. And if he gives them a little bit of runway, I think towards the latter part of the year, we'll know which ones work and which ones don't, and which ones have been scrapped. So that's kind of what my vision is as far as where I see that going, depending on where our hobby climate goes. So I gave you guys a little bit of time there. Uh, Eric said, with the concept, you said that you think people are going to get go out of the hobby. So, and if you want to add a different prediction to it, you certainly can. But assuming it comes to pass, so what do things look like towards the end of the year if that comes to pass mm -hmm. by the end of the year? Well, I I think you're going to see um, prices continue to come down uh, in some of some of these cards that you know have ballooned over the last few years. I still say we will not get below um pre-pandemic prices i think we we have reached a new plateau um in in worth of of cards and and memorabilia so i think those prices are, are still going to stay higher than pre-pandemic
but I think there's still room for them to come down to earth some. I think there's still some hanger-ons that um, I try to move some some you know mid to high grade stuff. You know, you're still going to have to pay a million dollars for a Mickey Mantle and a Babe Ruth, and you know that's that's just the way that is. Right? That's not going to change because rich people don't care. You know, but for for those who are, are watching their money and do care, I think you're going to see um some of the prices come down and and that makes sense because if people leave a hobby now there's not as much demand so the prices have to come down it's you know the whole supply and demand thing um everyone came in during the pandemic it got flooded prices went up because of supply and demand and newfound interest people are going to continue to leave i think based uh partly on all the corruption and and the belief that there's more corruption out there and people are going to get are just sick of it um you know some of the people wrap it up as negativity in the hobby um no yeah there's negative people everywhere i can't go buy milk at the store without running into someone who's negative i'm not going to stop buying milk but if i find out that there's corruption in selling me the milk i may try to drink orange juice instead you know, or mayonnaise. I, shut up. See, I I, I, I held back. I held back. I for, for the so so going back to the year end videos, that that wasn't me. Just, just point of order that 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 was not I. No, he's 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 a fire starter. He is. He's bad. <laughs> he's bad. And we have we have we have documented this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Brandon, anyway. right now, Brandon's like Brandon is the bad Santa. By the way, great movie. If you guys want the first Bad Santa, it was a fantastic movie. Very fun. Great, yeah. great movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. You have to have a twisted sense of humor to really enjoy it. And I do. Yes, you do. Yeah. So I think um, cor corruption is going to have be a part of people leaving. I think economics also. Um, prices will come down. And I think you'll also start seeing, because you've already seen a ton, but I think you'll also start seeing um, card businesses, brick and mortar, that are hanging on by by the skin of their teeth, uh, won't survive the year. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll quickly add something to it. So again, I'll play with your scenario, your hypothetical scenario that you laid out. That's why I said I wanted to do a little twist on the prediction thing. I wanted to kind of us, you know, think through the thought experiment of your scenario playing out. So if that happens, one of the other things that I would see if we go down that path would be that Fanatic's continued move towards being direct, either direct to consumer or taking the distributors completely out of the game for the most part, would mean that a lot of the pre-existing deals that some of these shops have with distribution. Uh, so that was one of the conversations I was having because one of the folks we were talking about in the alleged post-show uh, is in the distribution side of the business. And one of the questions I had was pertaining to thoughts on the distribution side of the business and got a little feedback on that. So I appreciated having that perspective, that angle. And But if that's the case, then the distributors are going to have to pivot. They're going to have to find other ways to make money. And that was part of what was discussed. But then also, in addition, the shops themselves are going to have to go like, okay, that's why I said about the uh, cards they excuse thing. If that's going to play out, then if you're in charge of that and you're relying on breaking as one of your pillars in that scenario, you need allocation. You need boxes. You need supply. You need to get them from somewhere. And if Fanatics is controlling more of their own distribution, then you basically got to get on the list. One way or the other, if you need that allocation, you got to get on that list and be a part of that so that you're getting the supply. Otherwise, you get cut off. Shops, 
that are relying on that right now, to Eric's point, they would be the ones to bleed out first because it's such a cash-heavy business. You need all this money to be buying all this product that you may or may not be able to sell. The current model is broken. Oh, this God. can be a, a, for a bigger conversation for later because we can save this for next episode that'll be a little bit more regular. We can talk about the broken model because the model is 100% broken right now. And it's been broken for a long time. It's being oh, yeah. exacerbated by the current scenarios and the way this is playing out. But the model was always a little bit busted, even going back to the 90s and the 80s, which I can speak to just having lived it. It was broken back then. But when cash is moving everywhere and everybody's got money to spend, we can kind of get by. We can, we, can, we can make it work. But if you don't have the cash to play and you're relying on some kind of credit or whatever it is to keep the lights on and to keep the flow, you get these boxes in, you need to get those boxes out and you need to sell it so that you get enough cash to be able to rob Peter to pay Paul. And you got to keep doing this back and forth, back and forth. If you don't have the cash to hang in there, if it doesn't sell on day one, you get into a cash crunch. But if suddenly I cut off your supply and you can't even get the lifeblood to keep the flow going, all of a sudden you can't rob Peter to pay Paul because it just stopped. The wheels have stopped turning. That's when you run into the scenario with the shops. That's where all of a sudden only the strong survive and the ones who have that access to that lifeline. Because the ones that don't all of a sudden run out of gas. They don't have enough blood flowing through the veins and their heart just stops. Patient's dead. So something to think about because that's going to be part of the equation too. It's not just the economics. That's a factor. It's not just the corruption piece. That's a factor. But it's also the actual supply lines that the hobby and these businesses are operating on are being impacted and affected every single day. In addition to those other factors, all that can play into it. And that'll change the ecosystem. That will completely change the ecosystem if that's the case. You get rid of those shops, that's one less outlet for the stuff to go out. Maybe it becomes direct to consumer. Maybe Fanatic sells you the hobby boxes directly more so than they already are. They make it direct. And then, okay, what are they going to do? The shops that are going to survive are probably going to do singles. They're probably going to sell other stuff like they did in the 90s when things started to dry up. They sold they sold Beanie Babies for a while. Then they sold other things and trinkets and whatever just to keep the lights on and to keep operating. So they weren't just relying on the one thing. Brennan, any thoughts on that or any thoughts on a prediction you might have that you want to expand on a little bit? I don't... I think Eric's correct in the fact that things are going to continue to decline, but I don't know that it'll, I, I don't know to what extent to sure. throw a prediction out. I don't want to be too doom and gloom, okay. but it has, we, we've already seen the change with, you know, the values and everything else that was, mm -hmm. That was a given. We knew that was coming. We didn't need Nostradamus to, to tell us that. We knew that was unsustainable. But we also know that a lot of the boom and the interest and the volume of people that came in was coaxed in because of those values. And as the values continue to be less than, you know, exciting and the saturation and the, the products you know all of that continue to rise you're going to have folks lose interest because the, the well's going to run dry they're not going to have you know those base cards that they're flipping for a ton of money that they can put back into the hobby i think the other side to it um you mentioned the allocation and what fanatics does whether it's direct or whatever but we don't really know the direction fanatics is going to go or what's going to happen with 
the the football and basketball market. Like mm-hmm. that's still kind of an unknown. We know the rights holder currently is Fanatics, but what is their plans? Like, what are they going to offer us? Are they going to stay with the same product lines that they have for baseball, but just put the other sports in them? Um, what is the price points they're going to go for? Because you know we've had this discussion in, over in the Discord. You know the belief is well, Fanatics is going to make football product you know price reasonably but we see that panini has put such an exorbitant price tag on football on basketball and people are buying it fanatics is in this wanting money they spent a lot of money to get these licenses and and you know all of this why are they going to cut themselves short like there's questions there so i think that will determine kind of the direction that things go as well Mm -hmm. um but i do overall think that when we sit down you know heading into the holidays or probably even summertime um the national coming up i think the buzz will be a lot lower because it's just that excitement isn't it, it, it isn't still there. It isn't still buzzing. Um, you hear more complaints about things. And and as Eric threw out the term that people don't like to hear, but negative stuff, you hear more of that than the excitement of the hobby anymore. Like the the talk and the vibe is negative. So. Ooh, he invoked the vibes. Mm-hmm. That's problematic. He invoked the vibes and now they're negative vibes. It's bringing us down. It's harsh in my mellow, Eric. It's harsh in my mellow. Uh, question though, uh, and, and like I said, it's a fair conversation, but here's the question that I would pose. Uh, in the same vein as what we talked about, I was just looking at it from the distribution side. You're right. We don't know what the licensing situation is going to be. That is going to be a factor. That's really important. We're going to need to know what that looks like. We're going to need to know what the product lines are going to look like. So just reiterating what you're saying. I agree. The The other piece of the puzzle, though, and you, maybe you can touch on this and just, give, and just give some thoughts on it. Another piece of the puzzle that has been part of the ecosystem previously, and it's still holding right now. Like I saw that the numbers for the month end, uh, you know, for December came in and the gem rate data is showing that there's still pretty strong amount of submissions for grading. And it's been consistent, you know, a million plus for PSA, a hundred thousand for SGC and the number Beckett took a slip, you know, CGC took a slip. But CGC is still doing overall, if we count both TCG and sports cards, if we combine the two, it's still grading a fair number of cards. Uh, Beckett has slipped, but even then, as much as Beckett has struggled, uh, they graded 50,000, which is not as good as you'd think, given where they had been in the hobby from a branding perspective at one point. But they've made so many missteps, I'm not shocked. But even then, if you've screwed up almost every way possible and you're still managing to get 50,000 cards in in a month, that's still something. You know, like you're, you're, you're hurting, but you're not dead. You know, 50,000 per month, you know, over the course of a year, that'd be 600,000 cards. If you maintain that over the course of a year, it means you're grading the better part of three quarters of a million cards in a year. Are they staying consistent at the 50,000? Because my thing and the concern with them is I don't know what their turnaround time looks like. And just because their number going out the door is 50,000, it would be interesting to know the number that comes in the door. Well, the thing is, after you do it over the course of a year or two, so I'll, I'll grab the gem right here uh, as I go in and talk about it. But if you go month by month and you're seeing that they're hovering, because when they're doing the numbers, so I, I've got it now in front of me. 
December, 52,000, which was down from November, where they did 60. In October, they did 75. In September, they did 61. In August, they did 75. In July, 50, in July 57. So June, uh, Beckett did 74. Beckett did 66 in May. So I, I'm being actually conservative with the 50K. They actually cleared it pretty comfortably every single month throughout the course of a year. The only time they dip below 50K in a month, it looks like, no, that actually goes all the way back to December 22. So year over year, believe it or not, they actually graded more cards on a month to month basis than their worst month of 22 because they never dipped below 50K. So I'll just using 50K as a baseline. But if I say 50K and you just kept that average, even though they exceeded that average a couple of different times. So even if you got a backlog, it's not a 12 month backlog. So, right, so there, right. there's been, so cards have come in over the course of the year that have been graded that are included in these numbers. So, so you're asking why did, why is this still happening? That I think is what the, right. So well, what if, I'm actually what I'm actually saying out. is if that's, if that's your, if that's the worst, yeah, it could be worse. And if they've made as many errors as they have, and they're still able to at least sustain that level, again, I'm not saying they're running it well. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying they've actually botched this horrifically. But what does it say about whatever if, equity they have left with somebody that they're able to still get cards in the door month after month? This is just throwing this out there. Go ahead. And That's I don't it. have the numbers pulled up, and I don't. This is just simply throwing it out. If I had to guess a, a large percentage of their number, is going to be TCG and probably thicker stocked cards. Yeah, I, I know it would be cards. tough to dictate and, and actually pull that data out. I think Genrate might show the TCG number, but we the wouldn't TCG know like get, yeah. yeah, but we wouldn't know like patch cards and stuff like that. I say that because I know that the TCG market does they they may not be high on Beckett, but they will try them on a lot of the cards because of the black label and Pokemon, especially with um, the Japanese ones. The quality is usually really good, and there is a case where black labels are more easier to get on those cards. So I do know that that market still has an interest with Beckett. The reason this is happening is because sellers, whether they're private, you know, one-on-one -on -one sellers, eBay sellers, uh, people working at shows, people working at shops, still believe the only way to get, you know, to make money is to sell cards in plastic cases with numbers on them. And they think that is the only way to, to increase the value of them and make money. So they have to spend money sending these things in and with and we all know with psa they got the psa tax if you have a good card and then they hope that then they can then turn it around and make a couple of dollars i think you're going to see a change in that i think this is this is still left over from the pandemic craze of everything has to be graded i think people are going to start backing away from that because they're getting sick and tired of it. Plus all the issues that they're having at grading companies and, and, you know, low numbered cards getting backdoored and there's more of them than there should be. And all this other stuff that's happening. There's, there's no reason to grade a card that you just pull in 2024 that you open up a pack of cards 
and you pull it out and put it into a plastic sleeve. You don't need to grade it. You know, so I think slowly people are going to start realizing you don't need to grade this much. If you have something that's that's older, that is valuable, okay. But to, to send base cards in from, you know, series one upper deck, that, that's, that shit's got to stop. So here's a question. So let, let's just pose this question. What, what kind of then, if there's nothing else to add then from the prediction side of it, then let's offshoot into this discussion here to wind down the conversation. We'll talk about this for a couple minutes, just since, since you brought it up. So then what's to say about the notion? Because the prices, you know, started coming down more than a year ago. I would say even towards maybe towards the tail end of 21 into 22, things were already beginning to slide. They had already apex, like the apex apex had already happened. Uh, and it's been consistent. You know, there's been different markets that have slid faster than others. There's been some different uh, movements between it, but the prices haven't been going up. They, they, for the most part, they've been sliding on a lot of stuff, especially the high end stuff, really expensive stuff. You know, million dollar cards went down 30% or whatever it is, uh, depending on the item. So you've had that. But the, the conversation, the argument was, okay, so all this was booming, this, booming, this, booming, this. So we can say that the entirety, we had the entirety of 22, 2022, and the entirety now of 2023, the whole year. And we've been on basically better part of a two-year slide on prices, declining. PSA's grading is up 16% year over year. And 22 yeah. was higher than 21. It's been going, it's up. SGC is up 58% year over year. 58% belief is if you're a seller, this is the only way to make money. And are I they just, wrong though? Yeah, I think it's going to fade out. I think right now they're holding on to the pandemic uh, boom. And this is what they think everyone wants and needs. And they're sending in 300, 400, 500 cards and, and, and thinking this is the only way. People will not buy cards unless they're in plastic holders with numbers on them. And I think it was a fad, uh, you know. A 30-year fad? No, no, no. <laughs> a fad with, with the explosion from a few years ago. Yeah, so but it, just to be clear, though, in the spirit of being factual, half of the PSA grading is, is TCG. Half of the TCG, it has nothing to do with sports cards. What you think about what the sports card market is doing, they don't care. The pokies don't care. The pokies got excited during the boom too. <laughs> they're higher than they were before. Yeah, they're, like it's literally it's it's and SGC's growth now. SGC's growth is more based on the sports card because because SGC is not grading as many Pokemon cards. They they tried to make some inroads on it. They have been successful doing those like Bowman draft specials and stuff like that. So they've had a couple of those that have done so, well for them. So I I will speak on the behalf of that. Go ahead. Their number is very heavily supported because of the $9 specials. Yeah. And I, I think you were trying to get to the point, maybe uh, it kind of seemed like you were on that path of maybe asking, do we see grading prices come down or grading? What, what grading I was, what, my general question. So Eric was going in one tack. So my original tack was going to be, I wanted to ask you, first and then the rest of us could talk about it i wanted to see the, the idea if we're going to see declines coming in through the next year continual the grading numbers have still been strong my original point was just taking the numbers as they've been 
The greedy numbers have been strong. It's reasonable to expect they're going to come down. But Eric is trying to combine two things. He's combining the market, depressing things, but he's also adding in that, okay, people are suddenly going to be sick of grading. Remember his thesis a moment ago was there was an over-reliance on the grading to sell the items. I can tell you that I can put in an equivalent card. I can put in a raw copy and I can put in a graded copy and I can price them in ratio accordingly. The graded copy still goes out the door faster. That is not a guess. That has happened. I've literally had cards side by side each other. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to send every card for grading, but it is not wrong that the graded version does two things. It does enhance liquidity on, on quite a number of cards. And it also eliminates just a different side benefit. It eliminates the grading conversation. It eliminates the message I get on eBay where it says, hey, um, on the scan, is there like a speck in the corner? Or like an, and all of a sudden you have to have like a whole debate about grading that you did not have to have on the other one. The other one, whether you like it or not, they just looked at the top of the label and they said, okay, it says nine or it says 10. Okay, that's what I'm buying. Great. Buy now or offer or whatever the case is going to be. And out the door it goes. So as a seller, I have saved some time. My, my time has some value. And I've saved a certain amount of energy that I don't have to worry about. In some cases, if the card company, if the grading company already took scans, like an SEC or a PSA already took scans, I think they take the serial number. I can literally download the picture from them, use their scan and use that on my eBay listing. I've done that. It's a nice time saver sometimes if they have it available. That's great. So it does enhance certain things. I'm not, I'm not going to say that every card needs to be graded, but I'm also not going to blame people that are trying to move certain cards. It's less of a pain in the ass to move some of these cards, especially if they're reasonably liquid, uh, in those holders. Because the question is, and I'll throw it back, I'll open it up to you guys, whatever direction you want to go, but I'll throw this back. Eric is looking at it from the perspective he was saying that, you know, people are going to, okay, if I go to a card show and I tell you, raw card here, graded card here, they're both, they're both looking pretty nice. This one's, let's say, in a nine holder, not even the 10. We're not even going to worry about the gem mint tax. Okay, 100 bucks for the graded one, $85 for the ungraded one. You they're save some money getting the ungraded one. They're going to buy the graded for two reasons. A, yep. it's already in the holder. Correct. And you don't have to send it in, pay mm -hmm. the submission and all that. B, the perception in this hobby is, well, you have this one graded and this one raw. There's got to be something wrong with this one or you would have it graded as well. That yeah. is a perception that that happens no matter the case the dealer could have just gotten it from the guy that just left his table on a trade who knows mm -hmm. but because that one's ungraded it has a flaw and this one's graded so he didn't send this one in because it has a flaw okay They're gonna now, buy the follow, up, follow up question same scenario i present the two cards in front of you i'm going to start off at that price point so you say that all things being equal in this situation you'll pay a small premium because i made the premium small in this case i didn't make the premium big i made right. it small Mm -hmm. So you say all things being equal, I'll take a little less. I'll take I'll pay a little extra for less risk because I've already got what's in this holder. It's already marked down. Whatever it's got something going for it. Okay, let's say you look at the two. They seem to your eye to be fairly similarly graded, but the the difference between the two in price is small. How much do I have to decrease the price of the raw copy to get you to take the risk back into your own hands? So I started off at one hundred and eighty five. I made the, the the gap between the two small. So, Brandon, I'll start with you. How much do I have to lower the price of the raw copy to make it worth your while to go like, okay, you know what? Even if I want to get a grader, if I don't, at this price point, I'll take it. I'll take it in this in this scenario. How much do I have to decrease the price of the raw? If it's a, is this scenario a card for myself or a card to flip? 
you can give me one answer for one and one answer for the other. So if it's different, you can give me the differences. If it's a card for myself, I'm going to buy the graded copy because, again, I know what right. I'm getting. 15 bucks is, you know. No, but my, my point real. was, if I, if I lower the price on the raw copy, how much lower do I need to make it for you to make that the more interesting prospect? If you've got a chance to look at them both, they look to be similarly graded. First, the premium is small. And you're saying in that scenario, yeah, take the graded one, you may as well. But if I lower the price, how much lower do I need to make the raw copy to make you go in that direction? Well, I mean, in, in this scenario, I'm not trying to make this difficult, but if we're looking at a nine and a raw, yep. we, we yep. know that in the market, a raw is valued about approximately the same price as a nine. Yep. If they look this, if they look similar, I honestly probably wouldn't have any interest. I mean, well, let me take that back. It would depend on what it is. If it's just yep. a, a a simple card that I'm looking to pick up and you had it at, I don't know, 30 bucks cheaper, 40 bucks cheaper, $25 cheaper, I'm mm -hmm. going to save the money and buy the raw copy, throw it in a one touch. That's the answer. That's the answer. I was, that's what I'm asking. I'm saying there yeah. is a price. So it, between the two, I starting off with a small gap with a small gap. You're like, ask ah, or give me the graded one then. But if I make the gap bigger, if I say the raw copy is $30 and the other one's a hundred dollars, you look at them, ah, they seem pretty similar to me. You know what? I'll take the $30 one. I can bring the price down to a level where there, where you'll take the cheaper option in this case and just take, take it into your own hands. The point though, is I still had to drop the price. The raw was already cheaper, but I didn't make it cheap enough. And that was the point in this scenario that, so that's, so Eric, to kind of the point that I'm making here, all I'm saying is that I just took a scenario where I took someone who is knowledgeable in the hobby and knowing that the, if I, to my eye, they seem similar enough, I'd rather remove the risk from the equation for 15 bucks. I'll remove the risk from the equation and just take it. But if you lower the price on the raw copy, but you've just proven to me that the raw copy is worth less. So if I'm a well, seller, I know this too. Especially if it's a nine. I mean, yeah. I, when I started building that collection back there, that's actually what I targeted a lot of times sure. because exactly. you could buy the nine for essentially the price of the raw. And so yeah. if I can get it already in the holder and know what I'm yes. getting without question, then I'm going to spend the money to go ahead and buy it in the holder. Um, mm -hmm. I don't need the holder, Yep. but if it's there and it, the price difference in that initial scenario is it's small, minute enough. Yes. I'll go ahead and buy the one in the holder. It's already there. I've stated that grading has become more vanity sure. than, than necessarily conditional uh, mm. because people like how they're displayed. They feel that they're protected. They feel like there's confidence in what they're getting. And, you know, it, it just, it's kind of, it's not what grading was invented for, but it's kind mm. of what the hobby has allowed it to become. Yeah. So. And that's the reason why I gave that specific scenario. I didn't pick a 10 and I, and I made the gap small. So what I did in effect is I gave you a value proposition question. I, I, I show, I'm saying the same card. I'm saying they look, you know, to your eye, they seem pretty similar grade. They're not going to be identical. They're not identical cards, but they seem similar enough. It seemed close as a nine. You're like, yeah, that's still a nice card. And I didn't make it thousands of dollars, but I only gave you a $15 gap. So the answer was no, you know what, for me to take, the risk, even though the risk isn't high stakes here, we're not talking huge dollars. No, you're going to have to make that a little cheaper for me. 
Maybe the answer is $80. Maybe the answer is $75. Maybe the answer is $60. But there is a number that you'll get down to where you're like, okay, for this price, even if I want to get it graded, well, now I can afford the difference. The, the, the savings has allowed me to take the risk. I'll submit it myself because there is a cost for grading too. But if you already took that out of my hands and the gap was small enough, well, then screw it. I'll just take the one that's already sitting in the holder and we're done. That's the value proposition. So the seller, though, is doing the same math. And let's say they bought both of those cars. The seller bought both of those cars for 20 bucks. They would have made money either way, but they know the one in the holder will sell faster, even though they made the raw one cheaper. They didn't make it cheaper enough to get it out the door quicker. The people will take the one in the plastic. That's why that's why grading still exists, even on cars that, quote unquote, don't need it. That's why we well, still got a million cars a month. And, and to be fair, it's a reason that I haven't been grading as many cards as I used to. Sure. I mean, when I was grading a ton of cards all the time, I would split my orders, what I wanted to sell, what I wanted to keep. And I would kind mm -hmm. of allow the sell to pay for what I was keeping. And I was building my collection that way. Now that the, the wax and all of that is more expensive, I'm not really opening anything. Mm -hmm. And so there, I'm not curating a lot of cards to sell because when I go to a show, I don't. I don't go in with this mindset of shopping to flip. I go in shopping for things I want. And so the, the, in with the values themselves suppressing like they have, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of stuff that I see the value in of sending in anymore. I can, you know, I, I've told myself I don't need it in a slab right now for my personal stuff and I'm not mm -hmm. selling as much as far as you know new cards new inventory whatever so yeah the need for the grading has been been less for me mm -hmm. so yeah i think i think the key though to your point being someone who also does resale but being someone who also collects all those elements basically what you're saying is that the 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 benefit to whatever you could use whether it's vanity or whether it's resale or whatever it is the you don't have the inventory that that, that would gain or benefit from even in the scenario I just right. gave just to make something more liquid, that's not fitting it. For your personal collection purposes, you don't need it. You don't need the fancy holder in this case, but you're also not gaining the value add piece. So you're not getting, so for you, it doesn't make sense because whatever amount it is to grade, it's not worth, you're not getting the R, the return. Whether it's right. for your collection or whether it's on investment, you're still not getting the I, return. So it doesn't make sense for you. Right. I send things in sometimes, uh, you know, very rarely anymore, but, and, Let's be honest. You know, I have this right here. I don't grade everything. This is a very nice card. Yep. Not, it's not graded. It, it sits on my desk in this and, you know, so I, I do have a lot of things that I could send in that would be worth getting in a holder, but it's just, it, I still personally feel like that they're, there's room and maybe because of the company's expanded so much and cost of goods and everything has went up. It feels mm -hmm. like there's still room for the pricing to decrease. Sure. But I don't know that it will because of the expansions, because of the, the amount of staffing, the, you know, again, the resources, the, the cost of supplies and everything have went up. I don't know that it will. So I think, I think the, so I've expressed this opinion before and then we'll kind of, uh, we'll, we'll close a loop on it here because I, th I thought we started off down one direction and then I thought it was an interesting conversation, basically discussing what the value of grading is right now. Because that's really what the, the discussion became a little bit. And I'll, t I'll add one more piece here at the end, but 
to your point, maybe the maybe the base price not necessarily decreasing, even though we'd like it as collectors. Look, as collectors, I'd like it to be a dollar a card, and I'd like it to be you know one hour turnaround. I make the jokes. I make the joke about the SGC thing. You know, I want it in the velvet bag. I want the helicopter service, hand delivery. You know, a dollar a card for an hour turnaround. But you know that's not realistic. But that doesn't mean there can't be specials. That doesn't mean there can't be sales where for specific categories for a limited time, you can submit X. And then if you happen to have those cards, you know, if all of a sudden, hey, Victor Robles, $5 a card, go nuts. Okay, fine. You know, maybe there's a I couple that might work. A lot of them to do. <laughs> yeah, but but in that, but because it hits a very specific niche that might make sense to you, okay, maybe a couple. For five bucks a card, what the hell? But yep. For other categories, it might not make sense for you. You might be like, you know what? This one's fine. This one's fine in a one touch. It's fine in a in a top loader or whatever. We're good. We don't need it. It's fine. But for other folks, it just depends. Right now, I'm seeing that the numbers are still holding strong for what it is because certain people are finding value in it. And the, the one other piece I'll add that's in the same vein is that hypothetical I gave you. Okay, so you go to eBay and you're looking at it. You're looking at some of those 90s cards that maybe have chipping issues or certain condition sensitivities. You don't need a 10. You're not looking for a 10. You're just looking for a half-decent copy. Well, eBay scans lie. eBay scans aren't the greatest. Now, eBay is good about buyer protection now. If it's just flat out wrong, it doesn't look the way it should, you get it in hand, it's like, oh, this is junk. You can return it. You can do that. eBay will allow it, but it's a bit of a pain in the ass. Or you could be like, oh, okay, it's a, you know, it's a seven, it's an eight. You know, maybe for an issue that is specific to proning, uh, prone to chipping. You say, oh, an eight's fine. So you see it, it's an eight. It looks decent enough from the images. Okay, fine. Pull the trigger and buy it. Versus a raw copy, it seems okay, but I can't, the scan isn't the greatest, so I can't really tell. Like, all right, I guess I have to. Maybe you reach out to them and say, "Can you give me a better scan? Can you put some lighting on it? It seems like there's something there. Is that a shadow? Is that a scratch? What the heck is that?" For the seller, it becomes the additional work. For the buyer, it also becomes the additional work because you're trying to get. You're not trying to find a perfect copy, but you're trying to find a decent copy you can live with. And now you two have to interpret what the card looks like from a distance, as opposed to a show where you can handle it and look at it yourself. There is a value to that. It does make it more liquid. It removes some of that discussion. Even if you don't agree with the final grade necessarily, at least you have a you have a baseline to argue about. If that makes sense. I think I think too in general, but and, and I'm going to give Eric a little bit of a, a, a touch on his point with the grading. Sure. Potentially could suppress if we are correct on the stat of people decreasing in the hobby, mm -hmm. then of course grading would probably follow suit because you're not going to have a smaller audience with basically with what you're describing on the seller side of it. If there's less people in selling, there's going to be less overall transactions happening to begin with yep. and things are going to get saturated. Values would take a more, more of a hit which then would make less and less and less things even worth the risk of grading, even if you did right. want to flip it. So there is an element there. If, if the prediction of the, the uh, amount of people in the hobby does decrease, the grading could very well follow. Yeah. I think it becomes a chicken or the egg situation. And the way I would put it is in the scenario that we're discussing here, I think it's the removal of demand and a drop in price that would hurt grading. Not corruption, not people suddenly deciding that they don't like slabs anymore because they're submitting them no problem. It'll be like, oh, it's not worth it for me anymore. It's more like your scenario. Mm -hmm. It's not that I couldn't, is that for what you're asking me price-wise, 
it is not worth it for me for what I would have gotten out of this at a different price point where the value was different. If I can submit the card, get a 10, and it goes from $50 to $500, it might be worth spinning the wheel. Because, hey, worst case scenario, it comes back a nine, it's still a nice card. Mm -hmm. But if it becomes a 10, then suddenly there's a value add there that I can do something with if I wish. And otherwise, I can yeah, get another copy if I want. It's, it's just more, you know, I don't, I haven't been opening wax and stuff anymore. So the return on getting new cards that need, you know, that I'm looking to sell that, that need the slab is just decreased. So correct. Exactly. And I agree with that. I think it'll be demand that leads that. Okay. So Eric, I know we dominated that for a little bit. We went through a couple of back and forth angles. Is there anything else you want to add in there before we kind of put a button on this one? No, I think we covered, uh, we covered it pretty well from all aspects. Yeah. And like in this situation, I think we can all, we're, we played out a hypothetical because we don't know. We don't have the crystal ball on activated. You know, we could be completely wrong. You know, the market, because stock market go go game busters for some reason, all of a sudden we're flush with cash again. It's like, you know, to the moon, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, we have no idea. Uh, I, I'm not holding my breath on that. I wouldn't expect that, but you, you never know. Or it could just stabilize and just kind of be where it is. In which case well, it's not a dramatic increase and not a dramatic decrease. And it just kind of hovers for a while. Something else that we didn't really mention, if there's sure. nobody that's coming off the top of my head, I don't like what prospects are out there that anybody is too hyped or excited about. Like we got Wimby Joe Flacco. basketball already. Joe Flacco, huge. Joe Flacco. Well, yeah, I mean, outside of Flacco. But okay. okay, fair enough. There's not a lot. Like you don't hear the hype machine. You don't have the Zions. You don't have, you know, what well, Connor Bedard doesn't do it for you? You wait until that's already Bedard in the made. league. He's but we don't have the good card his... yet. We don't have the good card yet, though. If we're talking about for the hype, we, we have the player, but we don't have the card yet. We, we don't have access to it. Like, literally, we don't have it. Right. Yeah. We, he's also in hockey. And no offense, because I love hockey and collecting, but hockey isn't going to survive the hockey. <laughs> <laughs> you wait until Geoff go. You wait until Geoff goes full scale in the top five is Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard. It, it might happen, but yeah, I mean, realistically. <laughs> maybe Joe Flacco, maybe Joe Flacco is one of the top five there. <laughs> Joe Flacco is one of the top five to round it out. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, mean, never, I, I, I do see know, that as another element. I never thought that uh, you and I were ever really going to be best friends, but after that <laughs> hockey comment, <laughs> where, where, uh, I got nothing for you. Wow. Wow. Oh, well, uh, you know, on that bomb. Being job, honest. <laughs> if you were being honest, you'd be back on the Joe Flacco pump wagon this week. I'd be like, guys, wacko for Flacco. Let's go. Hey, listen. No, the we're, we're almost getting to the playoffs. I don't want to play the freaking Browns. I'm just saying, look, we will we will revisit this conversation. The dream continues. The Browns are in the playoffs. We're going to find I out. Know. Look, I'm, root I'm rooting for this narrative. I want it. It's going to be his. Eric, nothing would be more fun for me than if Flacco somehow goes on a run. I don't care. It can stop at any point. If he gets a couple of rounds in and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my God, Flacco for Dude, that'd be amazing. That's what I want. I want this. I'm all in on the Browns. Like, let's do this. Like, I, I'm, I'm 100%. Look, if it can't be the Packers, I'm in. Let's go. My, I, I want this man to have a statue outside in Cleveland. My favorite player in the league is, is um, Chubb. And he got hurt like on the first day. Right. Right. And I was like, oh, there goes there goes the Brown season. Anything that any chance they had. And here they are without their style running back, and they're doing they're playing this well. 
and a two hundred fifty million dollar man sitting on the sideline holding a clipboard. I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So, um, no, I'm all in on the Browns because the Pats are are a joke. So I'm all you in. You like this guy? Yeah, um, there's I your guy. Was, I I was never a Flacco hater. I had no problem with him as a quarterback or a player. I couldn't understand in the past. Well, people are like, well, yeah, he won a Super Bowl, but he sucks. And he's done this, but he sucks. And he, I'm just like, it doesn't make any well, sense. To be fair, to be fair, as a Ravens fan and watching Flacco in the good and in the good times and in the bad, I made a point before the game this week. Uh, we were chatting about this scenario in uh, in the Discord. And somebody made the reference against the Jets that they, they were taking the Jets defense and so-and-so was going to get an interception or something. And I said, predicting that Joe Flacco is going to throw an interception is a no-brainer. Because if you look at his stats, although he has played very well since taking over the helm for the Browns, he has thrown at least one interception in every single game. Well, I think it's... It's a math problem because for a guy who's throwing over 300 yards like every single game, that means he throws a lot. So if you're throwing as much as he is and not running, right, that statistically your chances of having more interceptions go up. So if you don't have a balanced offense and your quarterback is forced to throw 300 plus yards every single game, the chances that you're going to have an interception mathematically increase. Okay. So I will on. say this. Go ahead. I have the stats in front of me too. So I was just going to read one. If, uh, if you, what if is you, his attempt? Pull up stats. What is his attempt? Uh, his, att- his attempts, uh, 204 attempts. 204 attempts. And I believe he is at nine interceptions. He's got eight here. This is what I see. I'm pro football reference. Okay. Eight interceptions on only 200 attempts. And I get you're saying it's a math problem, but I guarantee you there is quarterbacks in the NFL that probably have way higher attempts with less interceptions. You're talking to a Patriots fan right now who Bailey Zappi had three interceptions in one game. Yes, but your team can't even decide what quarterback you're going to use, and they both throw interceptions. So Belichick hates Mac Jones so much that when Zappy throws three interceptions, he will not switch him out for Mac Jones. That's how much he hates Mac Jones. Because he swapped Mac Jones out for Bailey Zappi, and Bailey Zappi ended the game with an interception. So it doesn't matter. He's damned if he d- does, damned if he don't. They're <laughs> both going to throw interceptions. After your third interception, today's not your day. Let's let's see if someone else can have a better day. I think he's playing. I think Bill Belichick is playing the percentage. He goes mathematically speaking, the odds of a fourth interception is less. So I think we'll be all right. <laughs> Give it a go. He should just run the wildcat without a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so it's got to be. So, so I was going to say real quick through the five games, small sample size. I do appreciate. I enjoyed. Um, he's averaged three hundred and twenty-three yards per game passing. Is That's the average over the over. Small, small sample uh, over the course. Well, you got to remember there's like the Mahomes year where he threw for comfortably over 5,000. Drew Brees has had some crazy seasons where he's thrown for, you know, tons of yards. Yeah. We got Brady here. We got Peyton Manning there. I mean, but in five, I mean, five games in a row with over 300. I mean, that's never happened. 
with multiple That's touchdowns. Insane. He's the first to do it. It's insane. Um, I would remember you guys remember you guys keep forgetting about what those years in uh, New Orleans where Breeze was. There was a year where in 16 games Drew Breeze was averaging 342 yards per game. Well, that was his average. Average. This is the first over 16 games done it since joining a team. I, that I agree, yeah. but, but but look, and by the way, I'm not discounting Joe Flacco here. I'm saying he's performing extremely well, but but I'm also pointing out that hey, there have been some like historically crazy years. But Drew Brees was in the middle of an offense that he was running. He knew the offense. He had been doing it for years. Sean Payton and he were on the same page, and those were the years where he was leading the league and throwing 5,000 yards passing per season. So like, so they were obviously in a role. That offense was a finely tuned machine that he he had mastery of. Joe Flacco walking in off the street off his couch and averaging 300 yards per game. That's actually extremely impressive. The offense is good, but like he's, he's, he's actually taking the reins very well. Like, and it's the point I made in the discord. He's not just game managing 300 yards. A game is not game managing. It means you're slinging the football a little bit. Right. So in this oh, case, he's yeah, he's going to throw some interceptions. Yeah. But the he, point he's is he's, he's also hitting the receivers. On, so. he, he's hitting his receivers. They're making plays and he's throwing some interceptions but he's also throwing touchdowns. And if you're throwing touchdowns and you're getting down the field and you're moving and you're moving the ball, the guy has almost 44,000 uh, 44, passing yards in his career. It's not like the guy has never thrown the football well. Like he, you know, if nothing else. And he played on the Jets. <laughs> he did. He did play on the Jets. That's right. So regardless, uh, to let's we'll give the man his credit. And by the way, in that five-game sample size, he has thrown for 13 touchdowns in five games. Mm-hmm. 13 touchdowns. That is the most touchdowns he has thrown since 2017. And that was in 16 games. <laughs> He's thrown through 13 touchdowns. I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm, that's my team. I'm supporting. You're wacko for Flacco? You're in? Yeah, I mean, I just I, I love stories like this. I, there hasn't been a story like this since Kurt Warner when he was stocking shelves at the at the food pantry or whatever at that supermarket. And the next thing you know, he's winning Super Bowl ring. I mean, this is this stuff is fun. This is why sports is fun. And this is the stuff I like, so I'm all in. It's about rooting for the narrative, man. We like it. So this podcast is officially wacko for Flacco. We're in. Let, let's let's do it. Let's see what happens. Look, I'll be entertained either way. I, I am rooting for. I am rooting though. I want to. I want to see him. I want to see him have a couple of good performances down the stretch. Win, lose, or draw. I want to see him have some couple of good performances down the stretch, and we'll see. Because I was listening to a couple of um, folks discussing it. And it sounds like Flacco has been having a good time with this run. Just, you know, again, coming off the couch, he thought his career was over, like it was done and whatever. And he's had this resurgence. Um, it sounds like he's keen on playing another season because he, obviously he's playing well. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Like this is, this is the best run he's been on in half a decade. So it's like, if he's got some gas in the tank. now here's the question though. And just quick, this is a quick thought just to finish off here on a fun note on a fun hypothetical. Okay, let's say he finishes, and let's say he has a nice playoff run. I'm not, I'm not having the Browns win the Super Bowl. I'm not, I'm not losing my mind here. But let's say he has a good performance in the playoffs. Maybe wins a round, which would be phenomenal. They, they borderline will build a statue for him outside the stadium at this point for the Browns' history. Yeah, they may as well. Um, however, you got the $250 million man over there. <laughs> like, what do you do? You're sitting there looking at an offense that is running pretty smooth with Joe Flacco very nicely. It's, it's running on all cylinders. You're like. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? No, you can't keep the old guy, no matter how good of a season he has. You know, you gotta go with the young kid with the big with the big uh, contract and and 
and see where that's what the logic would dictate but i don't know i just never felt like deshaun Deshaun, i think was starting to get his rhythm a little bit before he got hurt but he hasn't been like good in a bit like since the whole since the whole situation out of houston like he just hasn't looked like particularly good if flacco ends up in a place like not not you know not i'm not saying 100 but a place like new england as a band-aid to try to right the ship and 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 help bring along a young quarterback that's going to take his place when he decides enough's enough. I like it. I think it goes in uh, to mentor a young Thomas Edward Patrick Beavis Butthead Brady, who will come back for no reason at age 417. I will save the franchise. I, he, he'd be better. <laughs> he'd be better than what we have right now. <laughs> probably look for all my Brady hate he's probably right if he came off right. his coach signed as a free agent and and started next Sunday he would be better than what we have right now a vote of confidence from Eric for the New England Patriots there you go perfect all right so any last thoughts gentlemen before we wind her down uh, we had a little bit of fun there at the tail end just I, I thought it'd be a little fun just to have a light conversation there at the end and like I said we're whacking for Flacco here so we're appreciating it we're enjoying it we're just letting everyone know what you have to look forward to it's the first day of the year, and this is how the episode went. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, with that said, uh, thank you, Brandon. Bobbles and ball cards and 540 flips. Uh, we'll see down the road here. I think uh, one of the one of the goals, I think, is to maybe occasionally throw the odd additional video in there here and there. Pick up a couple of the content side of things. So we'll, uh, we'll let that play out. And uh, best of luck to you in getting that started in the new year since we're just turning over. Uh, the calendar to it. Eric Sanderson to or on Instagram. He is the bastion of positivity for 2024. Those of you who see the video side now understand that he is leading the charge of positivity into 2024. And otherwise it'll be more of the same. Been having a lot of fun with these episodes. Um, you also got a taste of a little bit of what I'd like to do is we'll, we'll recap and touch on a couple of topics. If there's some kind of an update. And then obviously on the Friday live streams, if anything comes to that, we'll, we'll have more of a lively spirited conversation, a little bit serious, 5% less mature at least. Yes. Um. What's what's pos positivity? I I don't understand what it means. I Carlos looked it up and read it to me, but I I didn't understand. It's I'm actually so impressed wrong. that you. I'm actually impressed that you were that you actually squinted in to read it closely. I typed it in like four seconds, man. I'm sorry that I wasn't doing a clackety clack on your louder one. Just to oh, make you Brandon- typed it in. Yeah, wow. I, I just typed it in quickly. We, we were actually Eric on the live it. stream. Okay, we, well, we were on the live stream. Yeah, for everyone, we 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 figured out if you made it this far, we figured out at the end it is spelled wrong. No, we, no, 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 no. That's canon. <laughs> Go with it. Well, actually, you know what? I'll be honest. So, so, for, so first of all, given that it is Eric, positivity might be more accurate. Hmm. You know, typo on my part. Perhaps a Freudian typo, though. <laughs> a lot more accurate Positive. than the other alternative. Yeah, that'll be a Freudian typo. That's a new one for you. But yes, all right. We have corrected. We have righted an egregious wrong. That—that's what you wanted to. End. That's what you wanted to pause the close. Just I noticed it, and I didn't want to like not mention it because I just noticed it. That—that that was what the same thing that it said in the live stream last night. It literally the same. I, I changed. You put it back the way it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for this episode. Episode 54. We're back with more episodes on drops. Episodes drop on Tuesday. Live streams on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll get it. We'll get a dictionary and figure out how to spell things between now and then. And wacko for Flacco.
Hashtag Wacko for Flacco. Embrace the movement. Embrace the narrative, people. All right, that's it for us. Have a good one. We'll catch you in the next one. Good night. Thank you.